turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to get right after it. Uh, We are studying, preaching through some of the names of God. Uh, And the preface for the whole concept is that names matter, and I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, But I want to start by going to something that David wrote while he is praying to God as a catalyst for starting off this sermon series. King David said, O Lord, our Lord, Psalms chapter 8. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to break it down. We're going to verse by verse this this, uh, piece of Scripture. But I'm going to read the whole thing first. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, if you underline, underline that. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And he says this, and this is kind of a famous passage. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower in the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet and the sheep and the oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord. And then he says it again. And when he says something twice, take note, it matters. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. And the opening thesis for our time together and we're going to be studying this this summer, downtown's doing their own study, is that names matter. And the name of God stands above every other name. There's not even a close second. There's God's name and the rest of us. But I want to give you some evidence as to why names matter. Who in here has children that you love? Like a lot. You guys remember naming your kids? If you're old school, you had a book. If you're not as old, you had the internet. But uh, you looked up names, and did anyone take that seriously? Like that was a big deal for you? You you know the meaning of your kid's name? Anybody? No? Okay, they're just like, oh, that name sounds cool. That's kind of how I would have gone. And guess how many names out of the three of our children? If you don't like my kid's names, don't worry. I didn't pick them. Talk to Ann Second Service. You can go to the nursery and put in your file or your complaint. But when it came to knowing, naming our oldest son Joseph, that was Anne. And then Jet, that was kind of a different one at the time. It was kind of a fad. There was a lot of Jets. I know some other Jets in church. Um, we went with Jet, and that was her idea. And then with Ariana, it's like I, I, I knew that I would never have any insight into what her name could possibly be because Anne already had it established. She had first go around at the names, and then she, she had kind of like some times where she said, if we have another kid, we'll name her this. If we have another girl. Um, and, and I basically had nothing to do with it because names matter. And she said that was, that was her God-given right to, to have first dibs at the names. And the reason that they matter is because your name is a gateway. You can write that down. Your name is a gateway to who you are. Your name is a gateway to who you are because names matter. You see names matter in a variety of contexts. Uh, back before you could Snapchat, which was like a long time ago, I know, or uh, before you had social media and you wanted to meet someone to potentially date them 
court them and marry them, the first thing that you would do in a, with a pickup line, like I'm a product of the 90s, you actually had to talk to a person face-to-face. Uh, and so you'd go to the mall when you're, you know, like in ninth, 10th grade and your parents didn't know this about you. I'm talking about myself, like I'm outside of myself. And you wanted to talk to a girl, you'd have to muster up the courage. The first question you would ask the girl is, what is your what? What is your name? Can I get your digits, right? I mean, you'd have to build that relationship. Maybe you had a pager and you'd give them your, you know, I mean, I'm going way back in the vault, but you'd have to know the person's name if you wanted to seek a potential relationship with them because names matter. We know names matter even in the context of how we court, how we get married. I know this isn't politically correct, but ladies, just so you know, and it's South Dakota, so it's kind of fair game to have this discussion. If you want to keep your name in the context of marriage, you are going to offend your future spouse if you are a female. Why does a woman change her name? Well, she changes her name because she believes to do so is to be with someone for the rest of her life, and the two are becoming one, and they're taking one names, one name, and it's from a position of love and oneness and a belief that there's a better future with that name that you're attaching yourself to and that you are now owning because names matter. Why do you get nicknames? Because someone, you know, nicknames are actually terms of endearments. They're descriptors. And it really fits in the Old Testament like a nickname. You would name something after a person, place, or thing. There are certain names that are off limits. If you want to know if names matter, just know that you'll never name your kids certain things. When Anne was going through the list and she was looking online, there were certain names that were off limits. Hitler, not going to happen, right? Judas, not going to happen. Benedict, Arnold, Johnson never was a consideration for any of our children's names because names matter. In the famous words of Will Smith, the sacred reality of a name, get my wife's name out of your mouth. Names matter. If I built my case, it's week one. And so when it comes to God's name, we make associations with that name. There are several names for God in the Old Testament. They're fascinating. Something we've never talked about in New Life in the last 15 years that I've been a pastor here at this church. But there are associations with names. And so with the names of God, there are associations. We'll kind of play like a word association game quick before we break down this text. If I say Elon Musk, what do you think of? Tesla, what else? That wasn't mine, so I'm going to keep going. You think of money, right? lots of money. You think of Tesla. When I say LeBron James, what do you think of? Second place, not even. I think fourth place. <laughs> you think of a great basketball team, but a guy that's annoying. But uh, uh, LeBron James, basketball, Tiger Woods. Don't make this too complicated and get in the weeds. All right? Joe Biden, don't answer right <laughs> Donald Trump. All right, let's move on. Right, there, there are associations with names. From Genesis, I actually toss that around when I say that to the first service. Eh, let's go for it. But, but from Genesis to Revelations, there are names for God and compound relationships in Scripture with the names of God. And the reason is this, that God is complex. I didn't think of this statement on my own, but I sure want to quote it. The reason is that God is complex, and in his complexity, he wants to give us different perspectives on who he is. That God is so big that one name doesn't fully contain his greatness. And that separates him from us. That in his complexity and in his greatness, he wants us to know him relationally, 
through his multiplicity. And we can, we can kind of identify with this. And so depending on the context, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an uncle, I'm a pastor, I'm a counselor, I'm a friend, etc. But the goal of this series, before we now dig in, is this. And I want to say this week after week. We want at New Life to introduce you to God for the first time. We want to introduce you to God for the first time by knowing his names, not just pronouncing, and that's the big distinguishing mark. Anyone that's religious, and we'll get into this in a bit, anyone that's religious can pronounce a name. They might even know it in the Greek, or they might know it in the, the Hebrew, or they might know it in the Pig Latin, right? Whatever, I mean, if you're intelligent, you know things. But you want to know more than just how to pronounce it, you want to know it personally. And so we want to introduce you to God for the first time. In the Old Testament, People would quote the name of God based on the circumstance that they were in. David, who is not yet King David, is facing a giant known as Goliath. He's nine foot six inches in height. He is an absolute beast. Goliath's offended that a little runt that's good looking, plays the harp, and is a shepherd, would even have the audacity to come at him with a slingshot. And Goliath says, am I a dog that you bring a slingshot and a little stick to fight me? I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And then David has this response. He says to Goliath, nine foot, six inches, Old Testament trash talk. He says, you come at me with a sword and you come at me with a spear in hand, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And so here's the first idea. Write this down. It's going to be in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screen. God's name is unlike any other name. God's name is unlike any other name that you've ever uttered from your mouth which is why it's so critical to never take it in vain. And the person that owns the name has more than an amount of significance than you could ever imagine. But Psalm 8-1 again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. There's only one that can set glory above heavens, which makes the name that much more credible. But it's majestic and it's powerful. God's name is above every name And it's unlike any other name. God's name is holy. Write that down. You come in here from a liturgical background, one of your primary complaints, and there's a handful, is that we don't say the Lord's Prayer enough. And I just want to caveat that by saying we 100 million percent believe in the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus' prayer. And I grew up a good Presbyterian, so I, I do know it by heart. We said it every week in church. But the way that it starts out is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many of you grew up and thought to yourself, that's great, what does that mean, hallowed? Well, hallowed just simply means holy. And holy translates to be sanctified, to be set apart. And the idea is this, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, set apart, that's how holy translates, is your name. I'm not going to mix up your name with anybody else's name. I'm not going to lump you into a conversation with the rest of us. Because you can do things that we can't do. You are holy. And so I'm going to treat your name with a different type of significance because the position that you hold is different. So based on how important your name is or the scope of your influence, your name is used accordingly. And so in my house, I think I'm a little important or In the church, maybe I'm a little important, so I have a name. 
And in the home, I'm dad. Uh, at, at the church, I'm pastor. But then I leave this space. Like I just took a road trip to pick up a 2007 Honda Civic for my daughter. That was a gift from uh, my, my wife's uncle. And because I am incredibly frugal slash super cheap, I got on a plane, got, got an airplane ticket, and drove that thing back straight without even stopping to eat unless it was at a gas station because I'm a road warrior. But when I left and I went to Virginia, and uh, I had a great time for, you know, the few hours that I was there before I hit the road with her in-laws or her family, my in-laws, no one knew who I was. And so it, it was just, you know, like no one cares, right? You leave Aberdeen if you've been in here for a while. It's like you, you're, you're living into a, a cheer scene where sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name. You leave Aberdeen, it's like you don't exist. And the reason that I don't exist is because I'm not that big of a deal. The scope of my influence is limited. And so the titles to my name are limited. Your name has to match your level of influence. But God's name is like no other name. It's like no other name in the, in the history of mankind. And so God's name is to be taken in a very serious vein, no matter what the context, because it's God. Because no matter where he goes, he's a big deal. The opposite of hallowed is to take the Lord's name in vain. And so it's empty, it's without meaning, it's without substance. To make fun of it, to joke about it, to forge it, to use it, like we talked about with the Ten Commandments series, in an unauthorized manner is to take the Lord's name in vain, and that's something that's off limits for God's people, but for everybody. And it's in over all the earth, no matter where you go, God is doing a work, whether you recognize him or not, and it stands over everything. And so God's name is like no other name. Verse 2, he says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. So here, here's the idea, that God's name is reserved. And it's counterintuitive based on how you see God. If you know him personally, then you already know this about him. But God's name is reserved for those that are dependent on him. And so let me just break down that verse again. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established your strength. How counterintuitive is that? That's not the way the world operates. Right? We establish our strength through those who have the most influence, no matter where they go. And we attach ourselves to that influence and we understand that some people are a big deal. And then in religious circles, it's the same way. Uh, in religion, you're allowed to pronounce the name of God. And you can break it down however you see fit. But when it comes to Christianity, it's not just another religion. It's based uh, on, the, on the basis of a relationship with God. And so in a relationship with God, it requires dependence on God and God's name is for those who are dependent on him. And those people are the least of these. It's counterintuitive. It's backwards in how it operates. God starts, you know, with Jesus picking his leadership team that's going to change the world. He picks 12 people that are the least of these. People that have very little significance but have this understanding that they're dependent on Jesus Christ and so it's evidence in verse 2 by out of the mouth of babies and infants. There's nothing more dependent than a baby. It can't get the appropriate sleep without you. Moms, it can't eat without you. And these babies and their dependents are showing us how our relationship with God works. In Proverbs 18.10, the Bible says, In the name of the Lord, 
The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are saved. And so the idea is this. We're completely dependent on the name of God, on the hand of God, on the work of God in our life. Psalm 111.9 says, awesome is his name. Jesus is laying out the reality of God's name, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, I thank you, Father, that you have not revealed yourself to the proud, that when we know your name in our revelation that comes from you, that we know your name based on the fact that you told us who you are and you tell the people who you are based on the humility that they come to you with. It's childlike faith. Verse 3 says, when I look at your heavens, and this is interesting, so stay with me here. David says, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I see something. He's going to say in the next verse in just a second. He says, what is man that you were even mindful of him? Why are you even paying attention to us? You are so great. You are majestic. Holy is your name. It's the name above every name. And you set this entire motion into place by the work of your hand. Number three, write this down. God's name is powerful. It's powerful. Here's something I never would have thought of on my own. I want to bring this to you. When we talk about the move of God, we talk about the hand of God moving. But look what it actually says from David in verse 3. It's like ultimate power. When I consider your heavens, and then he says something that I never would have thought of on my own. He says, when I consider the work of your fingers. So by the work of your fingers, you, you put the moon and the stars and the galaxy, you, you formed everything in this six days that you went to work. All of it, not even just from your hand, but from your fingers. Well, why does that matter? Let me give you a quick analogy of to why that I think that's so significant. I, I have this four-pound dog. His name is Rambo. Our other dog's name is Rocky. We went Sylvester Stallone themes. He's four pounds, and we just shaved him, short-haired. He, he's, a, he's like a miniature poodle. Uh, mixed with something else. Uh, he's kind of a mutt. But uh, he, if you want to get a picture of what Rambo's like, you guys know those Sarah McLaughlin commercials? In the arms of an angel. And you know how those paid actor dogs are just looking at you with those goopy eyes? Our dog's like that, but a miniature version, and he just shakes like this. And, but he's, he's, he absolutely is a warrior. He's one of the most athletic three-pound creatures you'll ever meet. And so... This dog has a wiffle ball, and he's obsessed with it. It's like he, he has some mental health issues, but, you know, at the price we paid for him, I'm not going to take him to the physician, so it, it is what it is. But the therapeutic tool for him is a wiffle ball, and so he's obsessed with it. He freaks out about it. He puts it at my hand, and then he wants me to throw it and run away. But, but if I don't play the game right, he gets incredibly frustrated, and so sometimes he makes me earn it from his mouth. I have to take the wiffle ball. So he gets these little miniature teeth lodged in the wiffle ball as a means of pushing back and having a tug of war with me. And it's easy to take from him because his head's the size of a peanut. But if I play the game right, there's a legitimate competition because my pinky finger fits within the wiffle ball. And it's like, you know, now all of a sudden I'm losing 80% of my arm strength because I don't have my hand I don't have my arm to push back with. I don't have my shoulder strength. I just have my pinky. And because he's three and a half to four pounds, that's a good battle. And I stick it in the wiffle ball. 
But if I want the wiffle ball back and I want to, you know, chuck it across the room and have him bring it back to the couch because my life is that interesting, if that's what I want to do, all I need to do to take charge is I need to grab it with the entirety of my hand and just rip it from his little miniature teeth. And my point is this. Look at this verse again. God's name is powerful. When I look at your heavens, when I look at the work of your fingers, with your fingers, not your hand, and, and I know this is just imagery, but still, just get an imagery of how powerful God is. I, I, God doesn't need to create the moons, the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, the, put breath in your lungs. He doesn't need even his hand, his arms, his shoulder strength to create. He just has this little paintbrush called his fingertip, and he's just orchestrating what he chooses to deem fit. And maybe you walk in here and you're like, well, that's great. Can we move on, please? I want to see the dunk tank. But for me, that, that's a big deal. Because there are a lot of things, not a few things, there are a lot of things that I freak out about in life. Anxiety can go from, you know, to a five to a ten based on things that aren't even really that big of a deal. But in my little universe, my world gets shaken quite a bit, and I tend to worry. And God is so powerful when I speak his name, when I don't just know of his name, but I know him the author of the name, I'm dealing with a power level that's not even taking a hand to move and to put the stars into place. He just needs the fingertip and the wiffle ball to move some things. God's name is powerful. I need the strength of my hand to fight a three and a half pound creature. God needs a fingertip. He puts everything into place, and he changes our circumstance. When you start to understand the essence of God's name, it will change your life as well as your view of God. And so it's not just something that you know of. That's what religious people have. It's something that you experience. God's name is excellent. Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower in the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion and works of your hand. You put all things under his feet. The sheep, of the, uh, the oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And so the, the next idea is this, that God's name is bigger than our problems. What, it, what is man? You can take care of everything. You give him dominion that you choose to give him. You, you set the motions. You set the cogs of the chain into place. You set, you set everything... Under his feet, you give him this power, and you, you are the power source. But the next idea is this, that God's name in this sermon series, as we walk through these names, God's name is bigger than our problems. What is man that you take thought of him? And so here's the idea that I want you to write down, and I want you to pay attention to. This is worth the price of admission. Who in here struggles? Five people struggle. And like my theology is that we're all broken. So either you're a liar or you don't want to raise your hand. Like, who in here struggles? Okay, now we're talking, right? Here's the price of admission. If you want to be an overcomer through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to know this. The bigger God grows in your life, the smaller you get. And that's not bad. That, that's, that's amazing. See, this world has empty philosophy that is going to lead you down a place of despair. And if you don't find it out today or tomorrow, you eventually will find it out. And if you don't know who God is today or tomorrow, you will eventually find out who God is, even if it's when you take your last breath, and hopefully you know God before you do that. 
But God, God is big regardless of how you view him. But the bigger God grows in your life, notice I didn't say the bigger God grows because he's already as big as he can get, and we're going to close with that in just a second. But the bigger God grows in your life, the smaller you get. And then the inverse reality is this. The reason we are so big is because we have such a small view of God. The reason we tend to think of ourselves more is because we think of God less. We then forget in our short-term memory loss who God is. David says, what is man that you take thought of him? And so the whole goal of becoming like Christ, and this is what Paul says, he must what? He must increase, and then I need to do something as well. I must decrease. And we think of that in humanistic terms as that's somehow the enemy of the plan that we have for our lives, that in our life we want to grow bigger, we want to grow more significant, and we want to take charge and ownership over those things in our life. And we hear that false gospel preached to us at every bend and every curve, every turn in our lives. And the reality of the gospel is this, that the way that you're going to experience joy in your life and when you understand the name of God and the nature of God and the character of God is that you have this thing that you're trying to do in your life. It's trying to be like reduction. You are trying to shrink in size and significance. And you are trying to lay your life down daily at the foot of the cross and that he must increase. Who are you, who is man, that you were even mindful of him? And so then David, and David's a king. David's a king. He's, he's the most powerful king in all of the Old Testament with God's people. He, he has the biggest impact. And he says, my, my, whole, my whole objective is to shrink. I've got to decrease so that he can increase. I need to have faith like an infant or a baby in the way that it's dependent on God. And then he concludes with this same idea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so as we start this sermon series off, here is an overarching principle, something we're trying to do. God's name, number five, this is the closer. God's name is worthy of our worship. David closes the same way he opens. David knows that he's a king, but he's to worship the true king. What does it look like to worship? We stand in amazement. We stand in awe. This is what we want to do this summer. We want to take a step back from our own little universe that we live in, and we want to elevate, glorify the name above all names. We want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ at New Life Fellowship Church. The higher the value something has, the easier it is to adore it, to recognize it, to celebrate it. And so we want to worship. We want to worship. I'm going I'm to close with a story in this scripture. If, if you have your Bibles and you're a quick mover, it's not going to be on the screen, so you can just trust me that this is what it says if you don't have a Bible on you. There's a Bible under your seat, but we're going to go fast here. There's something that the psalmist says in chapter 34, verses 1 through 3 of the book of Psalms about the character and nature of God. In fact, it's more about how we respond to that character and nature. The psalmist says this in chapter 34 of Psalms. It says, I will bless the Lord, and this is important, in all times, not just the good times, not just the bad times, but in all times, I'm going to bless the Lord. This is my theology of how I see God's name. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boasts in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice it. And here it is, and underline it, 
Write it down. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so, so here's what magnification is, to magnify the Lord. And th- this is our closing idea as we walk into this sermon series and prepare our hearts for a dunk tank out, out front. To magnify something is to make something appear bigger, okay? Isn't that profound? <laughs> I didn't know that, right? To make something appear bigger. But, but here's why it is a little bit of a reminder. To magnify something is not to make something bigger. To magnify something, here's the $100 word, to magnify something is to make something appear bigger. So the thing itself doesn't change. It's just how you view it that changes. And the theological reality is you can't make God bigger than he already is. He is already as big as he could ever be. You can't make God more powerful than he will ever be because he is already all-powerful. And we're going to study that exact phrase in the weeks to come. You can't make God more knowledgeable because he's already all-knowing. Every excellent quality that God possesses, which is every excellent quality, is already at maximum capacity. And so the psalmist is saying, we got to magnify the name of the Lord. It's this strong tower in our life. And by magnifying it, we're not making it bigger. By magnifying it, we're just seeing it more clearly. And here's the analogy. My daughter randomly, right before service, texts me her report card. And I know it's cheesy, and she's in seventh grade, so it's not like Harvard yet or anything. I know it's cheesy to brag about your kids, but if you know me, that, that ship has sailed, okay? So too late for that, especially with her, because she's my favorite. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, and I technically don't, but she is my favorite uh, in some ways. And so um, when she needs something, I'm always there. I drove across the country to get her a car. She starts driver's ed in a few weeks, and the car was $1 from a family member, so it was worth it. And I'll do that because it's already... And uh, I want to show her what a good dad looks like so in the future she finds a good husband. That's my, that's my goal, just so you know. And uh, so she sends me a report card, straight A's. And I, I don't want to brag, but the reason that's bragworthy is if you know the Johnsons, that's called a miracle. That's a, <laughs> that's a genetic anomaly. It's like, well, where did that come? Recessive traits. Dad, not straight A's. Mom, not straight A's. Uh, brothers, no such thing. Um, Ari gets straight A's, and, and Ari goes to, like, Bible camp, and they have these scripture memorizations for child evangelism fellowship. She, she wins the whole thing. She beats all the doctor's kids. I, I know the doctor's in church here. She's smarter than your kids. It's weird. But, uh, <laughs> but she came to me a few months ago, and she said, man, I think I need glasses. And I'm sure we all need glasses, but she is my social security plan, so i got to make sure she does well in school. And so I told her, well, let's set up an eye appointment. We went to the eye doctor out by the old, uh, by the old Kmart over there, and... Uh, and sure enough, it's like she, she puts on these different glasses. Have you guys walked? I don't have glasses. I have bad ears but good eyes. And so I, she puts on these different glasses, and then she starts reading these things, and they go through all these tests with her. And sure enough, she desperately needs glasses. And when she puts on the glasses, she starts looking at things. And I remember when we picked them up, and then I drove her around at different sites, And she said to me this, she put on the glasses, which are magnifying glasses. They make things appear bigger than they are. When she put on the glasses, she said, Dad, everything I focus on seems clearer and bigger. 
Everything I focus on, like I can see that Wendy's sign, and I never realized, my, my, actually my oldest son is colorblind, and so he has colorblind glasses that he'll wear sunglasses, and it was like the whole world, we took him to Storybook Land with all the flowers, the whole world opened up to him, and everything he, he saw when he put on those glasses that were gifted to him, all of a sudden now he saw from a different perspective. Ari puts on her glasses, and she said, I see things in a larger and clearer way than I've ever seen them before. And so the, what I want to tell you, I actually brought some glasses so you could see. I was going to put those on, then I didn't do that. But she put these glasses on. She says it's changing everything. And when she's looking at something, like now she's reading a book, it's not changing the size of the print. The book is the book. It is what it is. It, you know, when I send something out, it's a 12 font, if that's the way I send it. She's reading in a 12 font, but now she's reading the same thing with magnifying glasses on, and she's saying, now it is, the keyword appears, appearingly bigger, even though it's the same thing. And I can see it bigger, and I can see it clearer than I've ever seen it before. And so as God starts to get magnified and worshiped and exalted, God appears bigger, your problems will appear smaller, even though right now, look at me, right now they're the exact same size. What if instead of circumstances needing to change in your life, your perspective needed to change? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Because when I put on these spiritual glasses and how I see you, I choose to magnify your name, to exalt your name, and now all of a sudden, because I choose to worship you in the midst of the storms in my life, you come, become appearingly bigger, even though you're as big as you will ever be, be, and the problems of this world start to shrink, even though they're the exact same circumstances that I've always had. That's why we are worshiping the name of God this summer. We need to be in prayer, and we pray for God to take things from us, no doubt, but our biggest prayer should be, God, help me magnify your name so that my perspective changes, not even just my circumstance. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. That at your name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. That your name is higher, that your name is greater, that your love is stronger, that you are the hope of the universe. And help us this summer to take those magnifying glasses and put them on so that we can see you as bigger and we can see the gospel as clearer in our lives. We love you. We love you. We love you. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.